Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hey, everybody, and I want to introduce a special guest today. Her name is Catherine Avery. And she is founder of Productivity by Design. Hey, Catherine. Hey, how are you, Monica? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so glad you're here. And I, I love how you described yourself. And I want to just kind of tell our guests that Catherine and I met at Jeannie Spiro's event in Newport a few months ago. And I loved Catherine's personality. She is just so warm and so inviting. And the thing I loved was learning a little bit more about how she empowers busy women who struggle with brain fog to conquer daily tasks, paperwork, and productivity. But what's even more interesting is her story around recovering from being what she calls type A, and she has also survived cancer. So she implements proven strategies to get you on a more productive track. So she's combining a design sense with streamlined systems and business acumen to help women master time, space, and information. How'd I do, Kath? You did great. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I'm not sure where to begin, but my curiosity leads me directly to brain fog because I want to raise my hand as somebody who grew up with ADD and jump in there. Tell me about your journey kind of as it relates to brain fog. I grew up back in the dark ages (laughs) before we knew anything about ADD or what the broader category is called executive function disorder. I've been on a whole quest to learn so much about it. First, because I realized when I got chemo brain, just immediately following my treatments for early stage one breast cancer, but it was triple positive, which meant I had to have chemo. Uh, I had really bad chemo brain and I was a train wreck. I took brain classes and the whole nine yards. Thank goodness. Uh, Smilo uh, Center for Cancer. I can't remember the exact words. They offered a brain class. And I actually was not only affected by this brain fog with chemo brain, but little known fact, I was also diagnosed with chemical depression immediately following chemo. I I had dealt with depression in my lifetime. So I actually knew what it looked like and I was fully aware of it. And I I have to tell you, I hope you don't mind. Can I tell you the pork chop story? Oh my God. Pork chops, please. So I'm sitting in my brain group with all these lovely women who are struggling as well. And one woman is describing in detail how she's made the pork chops, but she can't find them. She has no idea where she's put them. And of course she's in a panic they're raw. She hasn't cooked them yet. And she, her husband comes up and of course he immediately locates the pork chops and, and she's telling the story. And I have to tell you, my reaction would be to laugh 
except I'm sitting in this meeting with everybody and I'm sobbing my eyes out over her pork chops. Because you can so relate. And, and not just relate, but because I had depression. And it was really that trigger point where I said, immediately I went to the gal who ran the Smilo Center and I said, something's wrong. I cry all the time. I'm sad all the time. And I'm an upbeat. You've met me. I'm a very upbeat person. And I was really a trooper all the way through all the treatments. So they immediately got me into the social worker and then right after to the oncological psychiatrist to get me on some very low dose medication to deal with the depression because it was just, it was just, it was horrible to think. I mean, I'm sure I would have been the person making the joke like, oh, who cares? It's just pork chops making them take you out to dinner. <laughs> you know? Well, and it's so funny because I watched my reaction. I, I laughed and then I thought to myself, wait a minute, this story as an add -er too, right? There was a time that, you know, and, and, I think what I've come to really understand is it's an attention allocation issue. For me, it stems from like childhood trauma. But my whole kind of experience, you know, when I when I just laughed was like this <gasps> then intake of breath, because there was also this relationship to remembering a time where it got so bad that I could find myself not being able to finish a load of laundry before I was suddenly finding myself organizing a room in the house or misplacing something and my husband finding it in the fridge, like a bottle of Windex or something. I've done that. <laughs> Almost like there's such a truth and a shame to it because there's like what there's that constant like, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? I think I spend 90% of my time just telling clients. There's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. Oh, oh my gosh. That just made me breathe. And I'm not a psychiatrist. I'll be the first to say I in no way have any background in that other than 20 years on the couch myself. So uh, my, my former therapist jokes that I have a psychology degree. <laughs> There's probably this too. Oh my gosh. You've, yes, absolutely. I think there comes a time where it's just like that so becomes a way of being and in the world where you just kind of look at everything through those deeper layers and ask, start to learn to ask yourself the questions. And I think that was a huge part of how I figured out right away that I was dealing with depression because no one else really saw it. I, my husband's like, what do you mean you're depressed? And I said, I, I, I just know I am. I've had it before. I know what it looks like. I've been through enough therapy. Yeah. Exactly how I, sorry, I'm looking for the words, <laughs> which is also a part of chemo brain, how depression manifests in me, because it's not always the same for everybody. No, and I love that you're saying this. I actually want to circle back to this, like kind of what is depression and how does it show up? Because I do think that some of our listeners, because you don't have to be a cancer survivor, right, to be able to relate to all of the things that we're talking about here. But I want to come back to this piece that you talked about. You said it was chemical depression. And what I make up about that was that the key chemo actually created that environment is that or that chemical imbalance is that correct so my doctor would tell you otherwise the doctor said it was the cancer that caused it to which i was like i probably had this tumor for 3 years growing and i wasn't depressed during all of that i think it's chemical and what happens and he described it to me and i will not get all the technological terms correct that there are pathways in our brains and if you've 
dealt with your depression, been through therapy, maybe taken medication, whatever you had to do. And, and there's no judgment for me. I've done it both ways. I've taken medication and I've muscled through. And one of the reasons I muscled through the one time, which was probably over 10 years ago, was because I wanted to feel all the feelings because I knew depression was being caused by the fact that I didn't feel the feelings. So I had a very specific reason why, and it was very funny. I am going to, I knew I was going to detour on something. Here's my detour. It was so dang funny because I go into the therapist and I said very early on, I'm not going to take medication and you're not going to let me take medication. And so each week I'd be in there begging him, please put me on medication. This is so hard. This is so hard. He's like, well, let's just see how this week goes. And if next week you're still struggling, I'll put you on medication. That went on for months. (laughs) He was a masterful therapist. Wow. It was amazing. And I really did break through. And I don't think, and this is my personal experience. So I really, truly want to make sure I'm huge with this. Everyone's personal experience is different. I'm not entirely sure I would have broken through the trauma that I had experienced to determine what it was if I had gone on medication. I could be wrong, but that was just how I experienced it and how I wanted to experience it. And it was wonderful because it healed so many amazing, just deep, deep wounds. What I want to check in about is that what I hear you saying is almost that whether or not the chemicals created the environment for the depression, what's true for you is that there were layers of emotions that had been unsurfaced and unresolved that this experience allowed you to tap into. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Oh, well, sort of. So the, so the, the chemical depression was later And it wasn't that experience, two different stories. Sorry, I should have made that clear. So the one where I tapped into the experience where I wasn't taking medication was 10 years before I ever had cancer. Okay. And that's why you said to your husband, I know what this looks like. I've been here before. I've been depressed once, so I knew what it felt like. Okay. And so for the chemical, what's interesting then is for the chemical created depression, you used chemicals to actually get back into balance. That's correct. It's kind of like this, the cancer treatment almost like imbalanced you. And in order to get back into balance, you needed to take the chemicals that would create an environment for you to kind of break through that depression to be able to function. Yes. And it was fascinating because afterwards, some other things happened completely unrelated, went through a terribly tough time the year after a very dear family friend died. I remember I was on the plan. I was only going to take this for a year. I was getting off of it, et cetera. And I went in for my annual, I saw him every three months. I mean, my annual checkup. And I said, uh, uh, can I stay on this a few more months? (laughs) You know, the anti-medication person, but recognizing that I was really still coming out of it and needed a little bit longer. And again, no judgment. Hey, what we got to do. It's true for me too, that you know, I have experienced depression in my life, I would say that I didn't really know what it was until it got so bad that I couldn't function. And I ended up really recognizing it the first time where I actually decided that I needed help. Actually, it was my dear friend who recognized that I needed help. It was I was postpartum. And it was after I'd had my daughter and I was 
you know, had been breastfeeding for four months and at four months was still like incapable of getting kind of out of my bathrobe and I was weepy all the time. And I was just overwhelmed by everything. Like the sheer thought of getting out of the house, even with her at four months, seemed like the most monumental task. And I think it's true too that a lot of the added insult to injury, which if the depression is kind of just this chemical imbalance where we're not producing the serotonin or the dopamine or something is out of balance, I, I don't know, again, the science behind it. But what I do know is that then the mental exhaustion of continuing to look at yourself like what is wrong with me or shame yourself for mm. feeling the way you feel even makes it that much more of a just devastating experience. It's like we're our own worst enemies when we are, it's like, wow, like just to realize, and of course I didn't at that point in my life because I was in my very early 30s, but then late in my 30s, in the first episode, I talk about the deep, dark depression that I went through yet again. And I was on medication. I really didn't go off of an antidepressant until I was... Oh, gosh, I guess it was about seven years ago. But I had really leaned into that medication from the time because I thought like you, I thought I was going to go off of it. And then I just realized that I was functioning like I didn't want to mess with it. I didn't want to like part of me really wanted to go off and I knew I would eventually. But there was another part of me that thought, wow, this is serving some purpose right now and trusted myself that I would get off of it someday. But I just, you know, one year turned into two turned into multiple years. So another something that's kind of coming to the surface here, for me is also for our listeners, just like what you said, like, there's, there's no shame, shame is certainly not a helpful emotion when it comes to any of this. But that even on the medication, I went through yet another kind of deep, dark depression. And one would say like, that should have never happened while I was on medication. But yet it did, right. And again, I think I want to point back to what you were talking about, and kind of what we surfaced, which is there was unresolved emotions that were so deep, that were kind of the core of really all of the depression. But at some point too. Or the very first time I tapped into it, there was an actual chemical imbalance, not to say there wasn't, you know, unresolved emotions under that. But certainly when you're postpartum, that's not the time to dive in. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> right? Holy cow. I'm loving this conversation because you this really created an environment or an experience for you that created a why in how you serve others now. Absolutely. I think it gave me a great deal of empathy and knowing that there are a lot of people out there who struggle with keeping track of things, keeping organized, getting to appointments on time. I was always late for everything in high school and I didn't know there was anything kind of different about my brain. And I really prefer to say different than wrong because it's not wrong. I'm a very smart person. I just have a brain that works differently. And sometimes it's just simply that I think so fast that I skip stuff. Depression is actually what they call a comorbidity of 
attention deficit disorder or what you were calling executive functioning and what I've learned to call attention allocation challenges, right? Like there's truth to the fact that everybody is different and our brains work differently. And depending on the environment, we call it kind of the training ground, like how we grew up. It's true that some of us experienced childhood trauma or we're actually just born with a different kind of brain. One that, like you said, is kind of like a, a race car. It runs super fast. Correct. What I learned when I was finally got a diagnosis, when I was, um, God, this is also around seven years ago. It's actually when I went off the antidepressant and I started, you know, to actually take what I guess people call Ritalin or Adderall, I think I'm I'm taking like Vivant, a small dose of that, which is a time release. But it's amazing how much it has helped me. And it, it's enabled me to also, like you said, really empathize in a way that I could not before, because it's given me the ability to have compassion for myself. Exactly. I think that's our biggest journey in life, especially if we've been through stuff as kids, is learning how to love ourselves. And I see it with clients. I I have a client with ADD and we met, we'd had a sort of a month off from working together and we met and she's, she had written me saying how upset she was. She was all the way back to the beginning again. She's starting again at ground zero and we do Zoom meetings where I can see the office space because that's how I help people. Can't be very helpful without seeing it. And I immediately spotted that a corner that had been very cluttered had these beautiful white drawer systems and they were all labeled and the whole nine yards. And I said, hey, let's celebrate that. That's huge. You haven't stepped all the way back. You're still in the middle of it. You're figuring it out. What was her response to you saying like, hey, let's celebrate that? She was so fun because at the very beginning of the call, it was so down on herself. And at the end, she said, okay, I can see how this is coming together. I've taken some steps in the right direction. We're going to do some more. And I thought, oh, that's what I want. That's what I want for every one of my clients. We're not perfect. I have six notebooks sitting here in a stack on the edge of my desk because I need to go through them because they have tons of notes and get them organized. I'm not living in a pristine ivory tower office. You're pointing to this like human mess that I talk about. Like we're all in the human mess. It's okay. Like some of us are really good at some things and really bad at others or really just need help. And it's, I I think part of this that I'm also kind of really hearing, and it's a struggle that I share, when to know when to ask for help and who to ask for help. Because there's certain things like what you do, Catherine, that I would never imagine is something someone offers. There's there's people like me out there, which is great. But no, people don't realize that you don't have to do this all yourself. I hire a high school kid who comes in. I decided we were going to go from three Christmas trees to one. I love this. (laughs) is a story in itself, but each of the three of us had our own Christmas tree with our own ornaments. I'm getting a little older 
and I'm getting tired and I don't want to put up three Christmas trees. But to do this, we had to all get down to half as many ornaments, right? Yeah. And I didn't do that by myself. I hired a high school kid to come in. She's saving up money so she can go to summer camp in Israel. So what a gift it is to be able to pay her so that she can save up the money. And her gift to me is she helps me stay on track. I'm not organizing. I, I will not do it by myself. I just won't. And that's okay. Now, I know how to because I'm trained in it. I don't need to hire a professional organizer because I am one. So all, all I need, and by the way, I only do office. So when it gets to the home, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of doing the home. So, But what I'm can... hearing is like you're, you're saying even as a professional organizer who helps people get organized in their offices, even I need help when it comes to certain areas of, Absolutely. of my life. And we got down from nine boxes to four. And I'm very proud of myself from nine boxes of Christmas decor to four. It's so funny because my home, right? I have my husband who is such a minimalist. And I always joke that like I'm the maximalist. But it's true for me that there's something about space and clutter that I think we as women, and I'm going to make a broad generalization here, we tend to gather. It's part of our DNA. All of these events in life, especially if we're raising family, but even if we're not, it's that kind of like idea of having the things that symbolize the celebrations, the holidays. And I see so many people get to a point where then it just starts getting out of control and they don't really know when it got out of control, but it's like you with the three trees. At some point, the idea of celebrating in that way exhausted you. It no longer energized you. And I think noticing when we start being drained. So I'm sitting in an office right now surrounded by all of these beautiful things that I love. But there was a time last year when I started walking into this office and it was almost like draining, distracting. I found myself avoiding my own office. <laughs> that would Now I'm realizing that would have been the time to pick up the phone and call you. <laughs> and I had a client who said, well, I just run to Starbucks with my laptop. And I'll never forget, she said her office, she felt so closed in. It felt very claustrophobic. She was really not comfortable in there. And she had this huge desk with this huge hutch on it, very, very heavy furniture. And the hutch was blocking her window. And the first thing I said was, can we take out the hutch? Can we open the window? (laughs) Like, how about some light? How about some air? Let's start there. And when she did, and she really kind of fought me on it, which is fine. That's, I said, okay, if you're not ready to let it go, that's okay with me. And, and each week I'd kind of touch base. Are we ready? And then when she did it, she said, I love my office. And I was like, see, yay. I'm not going to say that's the only thing we did in our work together because it's not, but sometimes it's really that simple. And I want to talk to what you're, you started to talk about with um, what, what we call emotional clutter. Your physical environment is symbolic of what's going on in your inner world. So yes, women are gathers. I agree. I have tons and tons of books. Books to me symbolized, uh, I was an avid reader as a child. And when I read, I was very much 
it was very much an escape route for me. It was a way to be in a different place and time. Growing up, education and reading were highly valued. So I knew no one was ever going to bother me when I was in a book. When I moved, I had to start thinking about hundreds of books. And did I really need to bring them all with me? And, and it was a very traumatic experience for me because I books were my friends. I mean, I was a bookworm. I didn't really have a lot of friends till about sixth grade. And it's so interesting because now when I let go of a book, I think about the joy it will bring somebody else. I am so afraid of my husband listening to this episode. Uh-oh, why? <laughs> because because everything that you just said, I literally just like like had this like moment where I was like, oh my God, see, he's gonna wanna hire Catherine and all of my books are gonna be gone. He la- he laughs at me so hard. Sometimes he's like, Can I fit in the bed? Because I will go to bed and I will bring three or four books with me because it's just <laughs> it's based on my mood. Like, what am I gonna read? What am I gonna pick up? And I am a hoarder of books. I have so many books. And I think what I'm really noticing as you're speaking is like, to me, they represent a comfort, like my best friends, because I so can relate to what you were talking about, about how you grew up. Because for me, it was my escape. It was actually, even though it was healthy, haha, in that back in the day, it was educational, highly valued. But I remember my parents being saying she always has her nose in a book, but it was my escape route. It was my way of numbing back then. I didn't have the ability to watch TV or Netflix or drink wine. And so how I dealt with my family and some of the things that would go on is I would escape inside of books. I think we're sisters of another mother. I think we might be. I think we might have sensed that, though, which is why we so gravitated towards each other. So I have to tell you, I, when we were doing this house, I had to add closets. We just didn't have any closet space in the bedroom. Literally, we were sharing a six foot wide closet, which is a very small situation for closet space. And when I created the design and put closets on either side of the bed, I set them up so there's little book nooks on either side so I can reach over and grab my books. Oh my God. It's so how I think about space. So, and then I still have four sitting on the floor next to the bed, I can promise you. (laughs) I love that. Well, and, but here's my revelation is that actually there is something as well to kind of looking at going back to this emotional clutter, what's actually there that's emotional, like almost like an emotional attachment to something because it does bring me some kind of comfort, but yet there's also truth to where they belong and when it's time to let go. So I'd love for you to talk to me about that. So we're actually in a whole discussion about this and it's a public discussion, so I can talk about it on Productive Environment Network, where several people in the group are going back and finding boxes of old family letters. Different folks are having very different reactions and it was really resonating me. I was loving this discussion. And it dawned on me that I have a box of all the stuff from my childhood and I don't love it. And I'm going to sit down one day, probably not next week, but one day and open that box up and maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring my high school student over to help me do it. Only pick and choose just a few memories because 
I don't know. You know what? I hate to tell you as I sit here, I know my gut what's going to happen is I'm just going to dump the whole box. You know what? I'm wondering too, like, and even this is a question to our listeners, how many of us have a childhood box? Because I too have a big box in the garage. I never open it. I know what's in it. I don't necessarily want. I keep it because there's something in me that has a story around like archiving and like my children and my children's children that somehow I need to hang on to some of this or that it's almost like, for example, throw out your the cards your mother or your your dad gave you right with their writing. I lost my dad at 20, like seeing his handwriting just feels so. And again, here we go back to the emotional clutter, right? Feels that's how I know it's emotional clutter. It feels so wrong. I'll use the word to like throw those things away. Like I'm almost afraid I'm going to regret it later. So, so here's what I would say first. And this is our number one rule and mantra. If you're in doubt, don't throw it out. (laughs) We actually say that as much as we organize and declutter and help people. And and I say this in my work, if you're not ready to let it go, don't. When you are, don't get rid of all of them. pick Pick a handful that are your favorites. Because it does the archiving and keeping the family story alive matters. It matters. And that's why I have to go through and pick and choose just a couple of things. Um, This is so cool. You'll love this. When I was, when I turned 30, I decided that I was going to travel overseas to South America. Uh, It's more complicated than that. Let me start over. I decided that since I wasn't married yet and hadn't met the love of my life, that I was going to spend the decade of my 30s traveling in every continent. Started with South America and I went to Bolivia and Peru. And what was so cool was, okay, I'm 54. So this is 24 years ago. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have email, but we had fax machines. And so I would write letters about what I was going through in my travels. And I would fax them to my parents whenever I got to a hotel that had a fax machine. Wow. And my mom kept them all. And that's beautiful. That is beautiful. It was amazing. And then, of course, by the time I got to Asia at 34, I think we had email and I actually did send email letters to her when I was traveling through Asia. Now, the funny part about this whole travel story is a lot of people were naysayers and they said, what a horrible goal. That's crazy. What if you get married? What if this? What if that? I said, it's just a goal. So what? Guess what? I only stepped foot in I think it was four continents. I'm not entirely sure because I did Europe as well. I never got to Africa yet. I haven't gotten to Australia, New Zealand. I met my husband at 34. It was fantastic. It all worked out. But the part I really want to remember on this is that keeping those letters, that was so precious to me that she kept all those letters. And I have that written account of that story. Yes, I do. It's to, it's so true. There's ways I'm also realizing that you can help women to streamline their their offices. You say you don't do it a lot in the home, but like even some of what you're pointing to, there's ways that for instance, I could create a goal with you 
And it's about you helping me kind of achieve that goal or maximize my time or my space or organize my information in such a way that it actually feels fulfilling and life-giving and something I want to celebrate. Is that accurate? That's absolutely accurate. Be aware, and I worked with a client who had a desk in her kitchen and she's a stay-at-home mom. But she had paperwork everywhere and she was thinking about writing a book and she had to keep track of her kids' information for school. And that also needs to be organized. So how, so give me an example, Catherine, like how, like maybe two scenarios where you've helped a client go from hot mess to, and, and tell me, because I might be hot mess. I, I doubt you're hot mess, but... Uh, this particular one had 20 different things she wanted to do. And we were creating what we call action files. And I said to her, and I was really lovely. She's such a wonderful human being. She was really struggling with this. She wanted all 20 actions. And I said, well, what if 15 of them were for later? And you set them aside as reference, knowing that you would do them at a later date. I said, if you're going after 20 goals at once, you're not going to accomplish one. And listen, I have done this. Believe me, I have definitely had times in my life where I had way too many goals all at once. And we eventually, through, you know, her working through the process and talking it through, she was able to move down to five goals. And I think she's written the book. Pretty certain. I'll have to double check that because it's been, I worked with her a couple of years ago. In the office, it can be anything from a corporate environment to a home office. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs in home offices. I find, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, so this is just my personal research, that a lot of entrepreneurs work from home offices and struggle with these things, uh, with the brain challenges, and they sort of don't fit into corporate. I think I was always kind of a square peg in a round hole. Oh my gosh, I always say I'm emotionally unemployable. (laughs) I think I am too. I just there's the rhythm of the daily corporate life is not something like it feels to me like it would kill me softly, like I would slowly die. I I can understand that. And I would say after I worked in big corporate, I worked for AIG insurance. And And by the way, in fairness to everybody at AIG, I always say the best business lessons I learned, both good and bad, came from AIG. I had wonderful mentors worked on the international side. It was phenomenal. But I did best when I was given a project. Like if I had my own little fiefdom where I could run something, I was happy as a little clam. There's that entrepreneurial spirit where you get to kind of be creative. Absolutely. I think that that's true for me too. Like there have been amazing corporate experiences, but the ones that I really savored that were life-giving were the ones where I was actually able to kind of be creative and not be in kind of a cubicle scenario 24-7 where I could actually get out, be with people, right? There's that social element. But for me in my home life, what's interesting in my home office is that I can find it very isolating and I can find that some days it's hard for me to get things done that I might have as goals, but it's like, I don't feel like doing it. (laughs) Do you hear that a lot? Yes, of course. And sometimes the best thing a person can do is honor that. Yes. That's truly your body saying you need to rest. 
And so I took yesterday afternoon off to do something completely different. And I'm a new human this morning. I was up at 6 a.m. raring to go. It has been three weeks and I'm an early bird. It has been three weeks since I would get up at 6 a.m. raring to go. I've really been dragging. So, so a half a day is it takes that little to reset. That's amazing. There's that kind of holistic approach that I'm hearing is also part of what you are paying attention to, whether it's to yourself or when you work with clients, is that there is this kind of mind body spirit that goes into everything we do, even if it go- comes to our home office. Yeah, and I have to tell you, Monica, the where I learned that was during cancer. Yeah, tell me more. That was so everything had to stop. And I had to make really hard decisions. I knew I could only do two things well. So I could do family well and run my business well, but then throw cancer in the mix. And if I'm going to do cancer well, something was going to have to give. Oh, I just got the chills when you said, if I'm going to do cancer well. Chills, chills, chills. Yes. No judgment. No people who chose to continue to work and good for them. I kind of have kept my business open. I'd hope to keep one client going, but they, due to things totally unrelated to my cancer, had to put a pause on their project at the time. And and we ended up working together later when my hair was starting to grow back in. And they said, why didn't you tell us you had cancer? We would have been so empathetic. And I said, I, I just felt very awkward about it. And I didn't want clients to know. It took a really long time. I'm going to say it was about two years before I started to feel better. And I was only going through treatments the first year, but it took a whole nother year. And I'll never forget. I don't know if you know, Patty Lennon, Patty, I was at an event of Patty's and she's a spiritual intuitive coach. And she said to me, you need to take the month of January off. And I said, but I'm just getting back and I'm building my business and I'm this and I'm that. And she said, you're exhausted. Take the month off. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done because we women are so used to giving, giving, giving. And, oh, that's the other huge lesson I got into cancer was learning how to receive. Oh, that's a whole episode on its own. (laughs) Well, it really is, Catherine. And what I was going to just ask you, the next question I was going to ask you is what is your spiritual understanding of cancer? Oh, this gets tricky because I definitely had some people who said to me, you need to get to the why of why you got cancer. Yeah, no. And I don't mean for everyone. I mean, for you, like, what was it for you? I leaned at the time tremendously on my church. And the first thing I did was really hardcore a gratitude. I already had a gratitude practice, but then I really upped it a notch. And I looked at all the places in my life what, what gifts was cancer giving me? What could I learn from the experience? And so one of the things I learned was that whole learning how to receive, how to just graciously say thank you, knowing that I might never in my lifetime repay people. That there was two women from my daughter's school and they came up to me and they said, we heard, you know, what you're going through in your diagnosis and that you're going to be going through cancer. And we really want to do something for you. And, and I said, oh, oh okay. And these are two ladies I was not super close with. And it's funny because now I am. And they said, we want to set up a meal train for you so that people in our class can get meals to you. So you are fed while you're going through all this. And and I was just amazed by this. I mean, I wanted to weep because who am I to get that? What a gift. 
I set up everything. I had meals delivered here during chemo three days a week. It was amazing. I'm I'm over here kind of like in an in-breath, like, because spiritually, if it boiled down to kind of this lesson or this revelation around receiving, and again, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if you were to kind of just keep going under every, all of these, like you were saying, what are the disguised gifts of this dis-ease and what is needed in order to do cancer well, what I'm hearing is that the way that you got well is you allowed yourself to receive in a way that you never had before. And you're still bringing that you're giving and allowing other women to experience a receiving in their own lives, but in this kind of area of like, teaching them how to be with their own human mess and get it to a place where they are able to function and appreciate and celebrate themselves, even in the mass. Yes, I love that. I'm just kind of really loving what you're saying about your own experience and this piece about receiving, because I do know that for a couple of my friends who's, who have also coincidentally had breast cancer, that the receiving piece was a major theme for them too. They realized that one of their biggest kind of ahas was that they had never, they had been such a giver. But as we now know, we have to experience both sides or else there's this disharmony. And a lot of us as women don't know how to receive, whether it's a compliment or help from others or to ask for help right? All of those seem like very foreign things to a lot of us. Would you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. And and that was the case for me. I was always giving of my time, volunteering, taking care of people. And sometimes we need to be taken care of. And, and quite frankly, we can take care of ourselves. And I, I'm not saying that in the Wonder Woman sense. I'm saying that in a Take an Epsom salt bath. Like a, a, like a self-nurturing. Take care of yourself and, and put yourself first. I exercise almost every day. That's a way I take care of myself. Yeah. I tried healthy before we got on this. I packed myself a little snack bag with super healthy snacks so that later when I'm traveling around, I'm not eating junk. For all of us, sometimes... There's that, like for me, it was my deep, dark depression, which is how we started this kind of conversation 10 years ago that really brought me in touch with how little I knew how to love and nurture myself. And part of that is the receiving. Now, disease or disease can show up in multiple forms. So I think it's really, again, being able to kind of maybe just listen and recognize, I'm hoping that some of the threads in this conversation that we've been having is like just normalizing that we all think differently. We all organize differently. There's all of these differences, but there's also all of these commonalities, all of these ways in which everything is interconnected. And it's about creating ease, not dis-ease in environments that are 
you know, cause causing us problems or trouble or tension or ongoing stress. And I just I've loved this whole conversation, Catherine, it's been so and I feel like again, we could like do this a million times and <laughs> um, talk about all kinds of different topics. Because one one thing I'd love to kind of revisit with you at some point, in a second podcast is kind of like, ADD, childhood trauma, your understanding of, of ADD, not only from maybe that perspective or, and I'm calling it ADD, you're calling it executive functioning. But yeah, there's even people out there like my own mother who have sustained a traumatic brain injury. You know, actually she had one when she was 25 and it was undiagnosed my whole life. Meaning we found out the same time I was diagnosed with ADD, I brought her thinking maybe this is hereditary only to learn that I was very much on the very you know, beginning of learning all the ways in which different brains function differently. And I didn't know she had had this subarachnoid hemorrhage when she was 25 years old and what that meant for her and her ability to have executive functioning. And a lot of, you know, and again, this is another conversation, but if we haven't had organization modeled to us, it's also very hard to like organize. Like it's the system, right? We're missing the example or the how to. So she didn't have it. So I didn't have it it's kind of like got all these interesting implications. Absolutely. And, and and interestingly enough, one of my clients is just darling. She, and I, I was asking, because as I was working with more of my clients, I was starting to notice these patterns and these themes coming up. And so I'd asked her, I said, hey, could you give me a little feedback on why you decided to hire me? And she said, I don't even really remember how she got into this. And I'm getting emotional about it, just thinking. Burst into tears and said she had had a traumatic brain injury in a car accident. Mm. I was so touched that she shared with me about that experience. And that's when it all started to synthesize. And I said, my goodness, there's there's got to be more to this than I realized. And I've really been on a tear. I just started my foundational certi- certification with Boy, it's a mouthful with the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. Wow. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. I've been studying, what was I doing at 6 a.m.? Studying for that certification. And maybe this is a great way to kind of just end this amazing discussion. But what would you say to our listeners out there? Like, what is possible when you kind of create? systems or strategies around getting organized? I love that you use the word possible because my word of this year is possibility. Yay. (laughs) I chose the intention of possibility. I think anything is possible for anybody. And if it's your gift that you're raising your children in the most amazing way you can, God bless. If it's your gift that you're running your own company, Amazing. If you're one of those folks who can endure corporate America, unlike me and Monica, go for it. Whatever it is that's your dream, if you've got the environment that supports you to do that, and it's funny because it just dawned on me, I never mentioned that I have a home altar in my home office. I do too. And a teaching cushion. I'm telling you, sisters from another mother. I know. And, And if that's what it is, put in your environment to support you. Anything is possible. And I'm going to say, like, in this conversation, 
what I learned today is what's possible for me if I like had, because I'm staring at stacks, right? I'm a stacker. But if, if I had a system with somebody like you who gets that everybody's different, right? That my brain, because part of I think what's even kept me from seeking help out is I'm like this whole idea of an ADD coach, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's just ways that I need to function better. And so what's coming up for me is the possibility of more ease, mm-hmm. more organization, which to me means more laughter and love is it, it becomes like available from more ease is like so so what's really opening up for me is that that would create more more just spaciousness and i always look at like spaciousness as like a place for more laughter more creativity more love absolutely that we've been on a big quest in our family to have less stuff and more experiences yes yes so and good comes out of those experiences laughter love peaceful nights snuggled up on the couch watching a movie together with popcorn and hot chocolate. Don't we all want more of that? We do. We want more of that. Yay. Well, so Catherine, tell me this. How do you want people to connect with you? How can they connect with you online? They can find me at my website, productivitybydesign.com. And there's a contact button right there, as well as a free offer that people can look at. And I'm running a 20-day challenge right now. It's called the 20-Day Epic Office Organization Challenge, where people can hop in and in 10 minutes a day, start to organize their space. And that'll be free until January 31st. I'll get you the link, Monica. Well, yeah. And I was going to say, this probably won't publish until later in the spring. So if this is something you offer again... What I'm going to suggest to our listeners is that they just sign up for your, you know, email list, and then they can know when you're offering it again. That's that. Absolutely. And there is a free five day offer. So it's a five day challenge within the free offer. So it's a it's a sort of miniature version of this. Very cool. Okay. And what about Instagram or Facebook? Do you have a following there? Yes. On Facebook, it's productivity by design. And on Instagram, just to be confusing and different. It's Catherine underscore J underscore Avery. And Avery is A-V-E-R-Y and Catherine is with, yes, but like my daughter's C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. So my daughter is middle name is Catherine spelt that way. So yay. Well, Catherine, it has been an just a pleasure. I love talking to you. I love your energy. I love your warmth. I love what you do. I learned so much today. I'm honored. Thank you so much. You're a wonderful host. So <laughs> I appreciate being on. Well, and to our listeners, I hope you have learned some new things today. More to be revealed with Catherine at a later date. We'll be sure to have her as a guest again. Thanks, everybody. If you're someone who is interested in working with us in a deeper way, please visit our website to learn more about how you can begin the process of unbecoming and remembering. Please enter the code PODCAST in the checkout to take advantage of special offers on any of our online courses, workshops, or online monthly memberships. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, 
more to be revealed.